All that. Uh, hey, I'm so excited to be a part of this series today. Hopefully, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been encouraged and challenged as we've been diving into learning more about the armor of God, what it means for us, how we can apply it in just day-to-day, regular life that we live. And I hope today is the same. I had the opportunity to talk about uh, the next piece of equipment that Paul tells us about, and that is the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so before we dive in, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll spend a few moments uh, walking through this next element. Father, uh, we are grateful for this time today. Uh, so grateful to have so many missionary partners with us uh, in our building to, to talk to and to fellowship with. And we're so encouraged by their ministry and how it just impacts us. And we're, we just pray over them, Lord, that you would empower them uh, for gospel and kingdom work uh, in the future. So be with us now, Lord, as we open up your word to uh, look more like Christ. Uh, allow us to just understand and walk in this in a practical way. Uh, guide my mind and my heart, Lord. Allow me to teach and, and share what is right and true. May you be glorified uh, for all things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm sure for those of us who are homeowners uh, in the room, we know this to be true, but having the right equipment when performing a specific task is actually a really important thing, right? So if you are a homeowner and, and you've no doubt had to do some different projects around your house, you know that if you have the right tool, the, the job goes a little bit easier and it's a lot less frustrating. As a homeowner, I've ran into this myself. I've done many projects on my house and there have been times when I did not have the right tool and it took forever, uh, an hour, a one hour job would take four or five hours or maybe in a full day. If I just had the right tool, this would be so much easier. Well, by God's grace, my toolbox has expanded uh, over the years. And so uh, I get less frustrated, still get frustrated, but a little less so uh, as I'm doing home projects. The, the right equipment matters for the task at hand. And I think when we think about this idea of shoes, I think having the right shoes for the task at hand is also very important. Let's, let's throw a few examples out here. I think if we are going to go on a hike, let's just say you're in the Black Hills and you're going to do the, the Black Elk Trail, which is about 16 or so miles round trip, you're probably not going to take that hike wearing your slippers, are you? Maybe some of you would. Maybe you like that challenge. But most of us aren't. If I'm, if I'm taking that hike, I'm going to wear a nice pair of hiking boots or more than likely I'm going to wear my tennis shoes, right? That's just the way it's going to go. Or let's just take a trip back to a couple of days ago when we were getting a foot of snow. How many of you shoveled or blow, uh, you know, did the snow blowing with flip-flops? Right now you probably wore your snow boots, right? This is the tool or the equipment that fits the occasion for the task at hand. Shoes are really important. If you don't learn anything else today, you're gonna learn that shoes are important. I'm gonna talk a lot about shoes. Or, or maybe if I think about where my three boys are and, and the, the season of life they're in, they're, they're thinking about football now. They're lifting weights. They're getting ready for football season. We just ended basketball last night. So now it's on to the next thing. Let's sign them up for football camps. Let's think about that. But you know, when I sign my boys up, when I'm buying them the equipment they need for football, I'm not going to buy them tennis shoes to play football in. No, they're great. But they're going to slide all over the field. They're probably a little more prone to injury. So I'm going to buy them a nice pair of football cleats all right, for this season. If I'm lucky, maybe this pair will last the next season as well. Football cleats are not cheap. But we have to have the right shoes, the right equipment for the task at hand, don't we? Shoes are really, really important. 
Let's just get away from the, the practical element of shoes. Let's think about this medically for a second. See, in the early 1900s in Mississippi, there was a community that had an outbreak of hookworms. Hookworms are parasites that bore themselves into a host. In this case, it was people, specifically their feet, for really two reasons. One was the, the sanitary conditions. They were very, very poor. The second reason, they weren't wearing shoes. Totally preventable, totally treatable, but because of the unsanitary conditions, because they didn't have shoes on their feet, parasites were now clinging to their feet. Or just think about like the stability for your hips, your ankles, your, your, uh, your knees, your back. Like shoes are really, really important. They serve in a lot of functions. They're really, really important. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about today, that shoes are really important. It's not physical shoes. It's the spiritual shoes. And, 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 and I'm so grateful that the Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Because remember, he's encouraging the church in Ephesus, hey, put on the whole armor of God. You're in a wartime situation. So when Paul says, put on the right shoes, he's not saying, hey, make sure your slippers are on. That's not the kind of shoe Paul's talking about. This is a wartime situation. He says, put on your feet the right shoes. This is actually what he says in Ephesians 6, 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We've been building this imagery over the last few weeks, but I think it's really important to continue that today. See, the imagery, the metaphor that Paul is using here is that of a Roman soldier. See, at this time in history, Rome was the dominant empire on the face of the earth. They had the most impressive and powerful army on the face of the earth. So when the readers of, of Ephesus was reading this letter, were reading this letter, they understood that Paul was talking about a Roman soldier. When they got to the end of Ephesians, when they were learning about this idea of spiritual warfare and the armor of God, they would have seen this in their mind. This was the image. And so when you and I think about this, when we, when we think about our feet being equipped with the gospel of peace, this is kind of the same image we want to have in our mind as that of a soldier, someone who's ready for battle, someone who's ready to take this step in combat. The Roman soldiers during this time wore on their feet what's called the caligae. And they're actually a really impressive piece of equipment. They were thick-soled sandals that had very comfortable inserts inside that allowed them to do uh, long marches and formations while having comfortable place to stand and walk in. The, the shoes were actually comfortable for them to wear. Had a leather strap that would wrap about to the middle of their calf. But I think what set this shoe apart from other shoes of the day was what was on the bottom. See, many people wore sandals throughout this day, but this one was different because of what was on the bottom. So imagine on the bottom of these shoes, tiny metal studs or nails at the bottom that will allow the soldier to kind of bear his feet into the ground and gain traction. So when the combatant was coming against them, they had a firm footing for battle. They had a firm place to hold their shield. They were ready for the onslaught, the, the attack coming, and they were ready. That way their, foot, their feet wouldn't give way. They had a place to stand without uh, harm befalling them. They were ready for the battle. Think of a football cleat or a baseball cleat. So just from a purely military strategy, in the Roman soldier's armament, this was an important feature. 
And Paul is saying, hey, just like the Roman soldier is ready for battle and he has the right shoes on, church, have the right shoes on your feet. Have the right shoes. Equip yourself in the same way. Now, not only does the call to wear the right shoes apply to the church in Ephesus in the first century, Highland, I think this applies to us in the 21st century. And I think one of the ways we can think about this about to, to, to apply this, about walking in this well. I think when we think about having on our feet the readiness of the gospel of peace, the way we apply this, number one, is to stand on the right foundation. This is number one, stand on the right foundation. See, one of the imperatives you'll notice throughout this text, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, Paul will say multiple times to either stand or to stand firm. We see this multiple times. We see this in verse 11, in verse 13, And in verse 14, Paul is either saying stand or stand firm. And then we get to verse 15, and he says, okay, I want you to stand, and these are the kind of shoes that I want you to wear. This is actually how you're going to do this. See, notice Paul actually says that we are to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This word readiness in in the Greek is hetosmia, and it means firm footing, foundation, or preparedness. See, in the spiritual warfare that you and I are called to participate in, there are times when the only thing required of us is just to stand firm. Just to stand, right? Sometimes that's it. Sometimes we just have to grind in our feet, hold the shield of faith with the helmet of salvation, and we sometimes just need to stand. Sometimes that's the only thing required of us. See, when Paul is saying to stand firm, he's not saying, okay, Ephesians, I want you to put on the shoes, then I want you to stand as as strong as you can, try not to give any ground, work as hard as you can, and just stand there. That's not actually what Paul says. Paul says to stand, but he also says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, Paul is saying, yeah, I want you to stand firm, but not in your own power. I want you to stand firm, grind your feet in, and let God do some work for you. Stand firm in the power of God. Let God do what God does best. You know, if we look at history, this is not the first time that, that followers of the Lord have been called to stand or to be silent. This is not the first time. Let, let's think about Exodus for a second. The nation of Israel. Specifically, let's think of Exodus 14. This is a place in Scripture where the nation of Israel, they had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God, through the ministry of Moses, is now redeeming them. He's leading them out of Egypt into the land that he had promised them. And so Moses is the spokesman for the Lord, and God is sending plagues to Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh, the king, says, okay, these people can go, and they go on their way. But the, the heart of Pharaoh is hardened by the Lord, and he begins to pursue them. Pharaoh, the king, he wants these people dead. So then we get to Exodus 14. This is the part of the story when The nation of Israel is wandering through the wilderness and they come up against the Red Sea, right? So if they move forward in their journey, they're probably going to drown. And if they turn back, they know that Pharaoh and his army are coming behind them. They know if they retreat or find a different way, they're probably going to be killed by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. They're completely stuck. They have no idea what to do. And in the middle of this chaos, hopelessness begins to emerge. What do we do? Where do we go? What's going to happen? And in the middle of this, the Lord begins to speak. 
the Lord begins to impress some things on Moses. And this is what the Lord says in Exodus 14, 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth between Migdal and the sea in front of Belsaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, this is kind of what Pharaoh's thinking. They're wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. Pharaoh's going to think I have them right where I want them. The Lord continues, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Imagine if you can, being in the nation of Israel at this moment. You have the Red Sea in front of you. You know you can't go back because you're going to be killed by the Pharaoh and his army. And you hear the message, turn around. Go back. Find another way. We're, we're going to do something different. We're probably terrified at this moment, aren't we? Well, I think this is the, the emotion of the nation of Israel as well. I think they were so scared and, and the, the chaos was so great. They were actually daydreaming and longing about the days when they were slaves. They thought it was better to be slaves. That's how scared they were. That's some deep fear. At least we weren't going to die. Moses, why did you bring us out here? At least in Egypt, we had a place to stay. We had a little bit of food. We knew what the day-to-day operation was going to be like, even if we got beat a few times, like we could handle that. Moses, why did you bring us? They were longing to be slaves. And in the midst of this despair, God continues to speak and he speaks through Moses once again. And listen to the message of God shared by Moses. And then Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Did you catch the message? Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Now this is conjecture, right? This is just Isaiah talking. But but I wonder if this is some of the, the working history of Paul as he's writing this to the church in Ephesus. Stand firm. You remember the time when the nation of Israel just had to stand firm. They just had to watch God fight for them. Just stand firm. Remember what God said. He says, fear not. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord. This nation, this this Egyptian army that's coming down on you, you're never going to see him again after today. So God tells Moses, put your hand and staff over the sea and it splits. And the nation of Israel, they cross on dry land in the midst of the sea. And then as the, the nation of Egypt is barreling down on them, they get to the middle. God closes up the water, destroys the army. They see the salvation of God. That's, that's something that Moses couldn't do. No one in the nation of Israel had that kind of power. God did. And God says, today I get glory over Pharaoh. He's not, he's not in charge here. I am. Today, Egypt, they're going to know that I'm God. I'm in charge here. I am who I am. That's who God is. And Moses is is encouraging to stand and see the power of God. And I think sometimes in the spiritual battle, that's what is required of us. Just stand and let God fight for you. Just stand firm on that foundation. Dig your heels and wearing the right shoes. The shoes are important. And just wait and let God fight for you. I think the problem is, though, we stand on the wrong foundations. I think there's some of us in in the room who 
are doing a great job standing on the foundation of Christ, standing on the power of God, letting God fight for them. But some of us are not standing on the right foundations, right? Some of us are standing on alternate foundations. Maybe we're standing on the foundation of relationships. If I could just get the right boyfriend, if I could just have the right girlfriend and make me have all these feelings, then my life's gonna be great. I just need the right person in my life. If I just had a better community, if I just had a different person, and we build on this idea of relationships and then people come and go out of our life and we realize this is not a very good foundation. We stand on the the wrong foundations. Or maybe we stand on the foundation of authority or power. If I can be the man in charge, if I can get my way, if I can dictate the situation, if if I can have everything go according to plan, then I'm gonna be all right. But what happens when plans don't go according to how you think? What happens when you're not the one in charge? What happens when you don't have the authority? That foundation quickly begins to erode. Some of us build on the foundation of our intellect or our abilities. And when that foundation crumbles away, we we lose sight of who we are. Some of us build on the foundation of pride. I'm the king of my own universe and everyone else is here to serve me. We see this in a lot of different ways. But that foundation, that, that, that crumbles away after a while. See, part of what Paul is saying here is we have to stand on the right foundation. Have the right shoes on your feet. Stand on the right foundation. It's the power of God. It's not our abilities. It's not our own power. It's not our intellect. It's the power of God. And we dig our heels and we say, I'm standing on the power of God. Fight. Fight for me, God. Let me see you work in my life. So we apply this by standing on the right foundation. But I don't think this is the only way we apply the text. So I think another way we apply this text is by proclaiming the gospel to the nations. Not only are we called to stand firm, I think we also have a command to start walking. It's, not, it's, it's, it's walking and standing simultaneously, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's just I'm standing and I'm resting in God's power, and I'm proclaiming the message the na- to, to the nations, the message of the gospel. We want to balance this truth with the Great Commission. And I think Paul does this really well. See, another portion of of Paul's writings in Romans 10, he actually encourages us to go and proclaim the gospel. Listen to what he says here. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what they have heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. See, notice again that Paul is drawing the reader's attention to the feet of the one who is proclaiming the gospel. He's describing their feet as being beautiful. And that adjective might seem a bit strange to us. I'm betting when you came to church today and you sat next down to you sat next to your neighbor, you probably weren't, what nice feet you have today. They're beautiful. Maybe some of you did. And there's no judgment here. Maybe maybe that's what you did. But that's not very common, is it? To say, how you have beautiful feet. So what does Paul mean by this? See, the Greek word here is hariaos, and it means seasonable or timely. See, when Paul is talking about this idea of one's feet being beautiful has nothing at all to do with their pedicure, has everything to do with the gospel. 
has everything to do with the message of Jesus. It's being proclaimed to the desperate at just the right time. In other words, Paul is saying how timely are the feet of those who preach the gospel. See, these are not Paul's original words, are they? We saw in the text, he actually quotes Isaiah. Here's, here's the full quote from Isaiah 52.7. It says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. We see this word beautiful once again. See, in the Hebrew, the word is naah, and it means comely or befitting. It's a message that fits the occasion at just the right time. It's, it's a message that it's, it's, just, it's just what I needed at, right, at the right time. And that's what the gospel message does. When it's proclaimed and when it's heard, it's like a spiritual, that's just what I needed. That's just what I needed. It's like getting a cold drink of water on a hot summer day. It's just refreshing. It's just what I needed. Now, when I was younger, so probably from ages 12 or so to 16, 17, uh, I worked for a construction company during the summers. The guy actually went to my church. And so during the summertime, I would work for him picking up shingles. They would let me haul shingles up to the roof. They would, you know, give me the, the forks and let me pry shingles off the roof. Now, think about that. It's, it's 95 degrees. It's the, it's the Indiana summer. It's much more humid there than it is here. So it's 95, it's 95% humidity. By 8, by, by 8 a.m., you're sweating buckets. And I'm a 13-year-old kid. Like, this is brutal for me. And I just could not wait for break time. Could not wait. I could go to the cooler. I could crack open a bottle of water, take a few sips. That's just what I needed. This feels good. This is just what the doctor ordered. It's refreshing. It quenches our thirst. It comes just at the right time. And to the Ephesians, Paul says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel. In other words, be ready to share water with someone who's thirsty. Be prepared to share the gospel. Be prepared to tell the world about Jesus. Be ready to take the gospel to the nations. Yes, we stand on a firm foundation, but we also proclaim the message of Jesus. And we see this happening in the Highland ethos, don't we? Just think about today where it's Mission Sunday. We have a missions fair. We have many of our missionary partners here to, to encourage them and to be blessed by them and to hear about the, their, their work and their service for the Lord around the world. And I love what they're doing. I think of our one dear brother who's building into several missionaries to make a gospel impact in Asia. Or I think of Vern and Denny Johnson, who for many years have planted churches and have translated scripture in the, the uh, area of West Africa. We have multiple missionaries around the world taking the gospel to the nations. They are wearing the right shoes. But we also have some serving locally who we met just a little while ago. I think of my friend Russ Barr, who's leading the North Central Division of FCA, taking the gospel of Christ into the local schools building into coaches who can then build into their players. Or Zach and Becky, whom we just met just a moment ago, who are building and sharing the message of Christ with international students in the Wisconsin Dells area. And again, this is, this is not our exhaustive list. We have multiple around the world who share the message of Christ, but each of them is taking the gospel to the nations. They are living out Romans 10, 13 to 17. They're living out Ephesians 6, 15. 
What beautiful feet these individuals and families have, sharing the befitting, timely, seasonable message of Christ. And not only do we have long-term missionaries serving around the world and regionally and locally, we also have the privilege of sending many short-term teams out as well. And maybe perhaps you've been a part of those. I actually had the opportunity about a month ago, five weeks ago, to, to, to be a part of a team sent by Highland uh, to do ministry work in southwest Florida in, in the Fort Myers area. It was a wonderful opportunity to, to do some work there, to, to, to spend some time with some other men and share the message of Jesus. Now, one of our objectives was to renovate homes that were destroyed uh, by Hurricane Ian in late September. And it's really hard to explain unless you actually see it. Uh, But the coastline especially is like a third world country. It's rubble and buildings and garbage just piled everywhere. It's actually tragic to see. And so we, we partnered with Reach Global Crisis Response. And one of the things that you learn pretty quickly is, yeah, they want to get the projects done, but it's people over projects. If you can take, take some time to step away from the physical work and, and, and develop a relationship and have a conversation with somebody, share the gospel, pray with them, then they definitely want you to do that. And they want you to take some time to pray around their community by doing prayer walks. It was, it was awesome. And I love that I was able to serve with a group of men to do this. The home that we were working on was owned by a, name, uh, by a guy named Jerry. And he was a, he's a retired police officer. He's there in the gray shirt. Uh, on the picture. He's a retired police officer from the Detroit metro area. A lot of cool stories. So he's been in Florida for the last 20 or so years, Uh, but but he worked for the airport while he was in service for the police department. He trained uh, dogs in the canine unit to search out explosives or other materials that didn't belong on airplanes. He trained the dogs to do that. So he had a lot of cool stories. I connected with him uh, right away. But Jerry doesn't know Jesus. He's not a follower of Christ. And so one of the things that we were able to do through this week is just to build into his life a little bit, to, to hear his story, to, to share the gospel with him, to pray over him, just to tell him about the love of Jesus. And so not only was it myself, but to see the other men from Highland on this team to do the same thing, it was a joy to be able to do that. And then on the, the final day of our trip, as we were, were leaving Jerry's home, so we, we took the house down to the studs. So he had not been in his house since the end of September. And everything was still in it. So think about the hot Florida heat. Everything shut up and his house was flooded to about neck deep in water. So mold everywhere. We had to muck everything out. Took it down to the studs. And the final day, the the brothers that I was traveling with, they grabbed markers and they just began to write verses on the studs. Jesus loves you. Jesus is the only way. Jesus, believe in Christ and you will be saved. They begin to share the gospel by writing it on the foundation that's keeping the house standing. They were writing verses. They wanted Jerry to know, Jerry, Jesus loves you. That's taking the gospel to the nations. That is living out Ephesians 6, 15. These brothers, we just met Jerry. And, and we, we may not ever see Jerry again. But Jerry, Jesus loves you. That's taking the gospel to the nations. I, I sent Jerry a text message just a couple weeks ago, just checking in. He's like, I'm so thankful for these brothers and the Lord that came. He's not a follower of Christ, but he knows the church language. I'm thankful for these warriors of Christ that came and built in my house. Waiting on some permits, I'm ready for the next step. But I love that our team, the men that I served with, were so faithful to share the gospel message. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. I'm, I'm not a missionary. 
I'm not a vocational missionary. I'm not serving in West Africa. I don't plan to. I'm not going to go to Southeast Asia. I'm not going to translate scripture. And I don't plan on going to Southwest Florida as a part of a short-term team, or I'm not going with young adults in a, in a week or two to Mexico. That's not me. So this message and this, this text, it doesn't apply to me, right? Well, let me interact with that for a sec by reading a, a passage of scripture. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age for those who serve in vocational missionary and ministry work. Does your translation say that? No, mine doesn't either. See, it's not, it's not an exclusive great commission. The great commission was not just for the 11 disciples only. It was intended for every follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't intended for those who were just in vocational missionary work. It wasn't just for those who go on short-term trips. It's for every person who follows Jesus Christ. So when Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus to put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, it wasn't just for a handful of the church. It wasn't just for half the church. It was for the church. Put on your feet the shoes of the gospel of peace. So you may not be serving overseas, you may not be vocationally stir, uh, serving stateside, but the call to share Jesus, the timely, refreshing message of Jesus is one that all Christ followers must embrace. So maybe it looks like this for you. Maybe you are a man or woman who works in a factory and working beside you are a half a dozen, a dozen uh, people that don't know Jesus. That's your mission field. That's where you're called to serve. That is where you have been deployed. It is not an accident. You have been deployed there to share the message of Jesus. So we want to lace them up and we want to share the gospel on the job site, wherever that may be. Maybe you're a business owner who, who you have uh, employees working for you that don't know Jesus. That's your mission field. Share the gospel message of Jesus. Lace them up. Share the message of Christ. Be bold. That is your mission field. Or maybe you are a parent and you're a child, or maybe you have children that have wandered away from the Lord. That's where you've been deployed. That's your mission field. Share the gospel message of Christ. Lace them up. Get out into the battlefield. Dig your heels in. Stand on the firm foundation of the Lord and proclaim the message to your children. Or maybe you're in a neighborhood where your neighbors, either to your left or to your right, or maybe multiple, they don't know Jesus. That's your mission field. It wasn't an accident that you're living in that neighborhood. You've been deployed there. That's your mission field. Lace them up. Put on the shoes. Go to the nations. Proclaim the gospel to the nations. That's your neighborhood. Or maybe you're a child and your parents don't know Jesus. That's your mission field. Share the gospel message as it is appropriate. Stand on the firm foundation of God. Dig those heels in. Proclaim the gospel. So you see, we all have our mission fields. We're all deployed somewhere. You don't get to decide always, but we've been deployed somewhere. And the, the, the call of the Great Commission is for every single one of us who are proclaiming Christ as Savior and Lord of our life. Putting on the readiness of the gospel of peace means we are actively engaged in the mission fields we're called to. 
That's how we take the gospel to the nations. Where are we at? What circles are we living in? Let's take the gospel there. So we've talked about a couple ways we can apply this, right? We're going to stand firm on the right foundation. We're going to proclaim the gospel to the nations. I want to think about this text in one final way as we close our time together. I want us to understand the, the paradox and the power of the gospel. Right? The paradox and the power of the gospel. Let me, let me flesh this out a bit more. Because why is this passage a paradox? What, what is the deal here? Well, let's think about this in context with the, the rest of the passage. Let's think about Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Right? In, this, in this text, we have swords and we have shields and breastplates and helmets and, and, and flaming arrows. Like This is an epic action movie at its best. And then in the middle of this discourse, we have this idea of peace. How can you have war and peace all at the same time? This is the paradox, right? This doesn't make any sense. And Paul says, as shoes for your feet, having putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is the paradox. That in the middle of spiritual battle, there is unprecedented peace. We don't even understand it sometimes, right? But we got our, we got our heels dug in. We got the right shoes on. We are holding the shield of faith. We got our breastplate of righteousness on. We have the helmet of salvation on. And we feel and we can and hear the flaming darts just flying right by our head. And they're sticking to our shield. We feel the impact and the weight of those arrows. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that battle, in the midst of this, this war, we don't understand it, but there's just this sense of God's fighting for me. That's a paradox. That in the midst of this war, there's, there's transcendent peace. And that's the message of the gospel. Peace with God is the message of the gospel through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, ultimately, we have peace because of our salvation. That, and that really, that's the only way we can have true and lasting peace. But if we are already following Jesus, this transcendent peace is knowing that God is fighting for me. Even if I can't see it, even if I don't know it, I know God is fighting for me. And this is why we can echo Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That's the paradox. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, our enemy wants to crush the peace in our hearts. This is part in part why battle is necessary. And yet we know that the promise given to us is, for, for those who have professed faith in Christ, is, this idea of deep peace. If we want true, lasting peace in our life, it's, it's a deep embrace of the gospel. This, of course, leads to the power of the gospel. And Paul writes about this as well. Notice what he says in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. He says likewise in 1 Corinthians 1.18. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, to the world. It doesn't make sense. We've talked about this last week in Pastor Andrew's sermon. We want to climb the highest mountain. We want our self-righteousness to be what allows us to experience salvation. And to the world, it's, it doesn't make sense. But to us who are being saved by it, it's what? It's the power of God. See, it's the power of the gospel that is able to make alive those who are spiritually dead and trust in the person of Jesus. To have those spiritual exhales where this is the message that I need. This is what I was looking for. There is no other power and no other message that you and I must proclaim to see death give way to life. This is what we have embraced. This is what we take to the nations. What exactly is it that we are proclaiming? We proclaim that we are sinners and totally separate from God. Death is our reality. Yet Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived in our world without sinning, undoing Adam's unrighteousness. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and repentance. He died on a cross absorbing the debt of death that we deserved and was buried in a tomb. On the third day, he victoriously rose again, once and for all, becoming the sacrifice for all mankind. And everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life has eternal life. This is the message that we embrace. This is the message that we proclaim. This is the firm foundation on which we stand. This is the foundation on which we build. This is our hope. Jesus is the only way to salvation. So friends, if you haven't believed in Christ for salvation, may this be the day. May this be the day when we begin to put on the right shoes. We believe and we stand firm in the hope of Christ. And for those of us who are following Jesus already, may this be the day where we have a passion and a stirring to not only stand firm on the foundation of Christ, but also to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Or maybe we realize we're wearing the wrong shoes. Maybe we realize, you know what, I've been wearing slippers for far too long. It's time to put on my studs. It's time to put on my spiritual cleats, dig in and engage in the spiritual battle. Let's proclaim the, nation, uh, the message of the gospel to the nations and may Christ be glorified as a result. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for this text. Thank you for this study on the armor of God. I pray, Lord, that over these last few weeks and the, the couple of weeks to come, God, that this will just be real in our life, that we won't just gloss over this, but we will find ways in which we can practically apply what we're studying and what we're listening to. And God, today I pray that we're ready to put on the right shoes. I pray we're standing on the right foundation. I pray we're proclaiming the gospel to the nations. God, for the areas of ministry you've given to us, May we cultivate those well. May we steward those well. God, if it's a neighbor, if it's a friend, if it's a coworker, God, just give us a stirring in our heart to share the message of Jesus. And may you be glorified. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.